What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. Before I come across the table and rip Barry's throat out. Kevin Sherrington. I'm going to say to you what you said to me a while ago. Shut up. Barry Horn. I'm going to bring milk and cookies next week. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we'll be talking about the Rangers. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the Rangers Ballsy with a Z Podcast. Yes, and welcome into another edition of the Ballsy Podcast brought to you by the Dallas Morning News. I'm Sean Bass of The Ticket in studio today with Evan Grant and Barry Horn. Good to see you, fellas. And on our phone line right now is Richard Justice of MLB.com as we talk Texas Rangers baseball and we talk about the really good team in Texas, the Houston Astros, that are off to a ridiculous start, 42-16. and 16. And, Richard, uh, Texas got their butts handed to them this past week into the ballpark, and it's got to be pretty cool to see a club like Houston that's been built the right way and then see them finally flourish here so far in 2017. It's surreal the way they've been scoring runs. You know, they, in this 11-game win streak, they've used their closer four times. They've used their best reliever, Chris Davinsky, four times. Now, they had some close games early, but they've just been pounding the ball, averaging during the streak. They're averaging eight runs a game. In the last seven games, you know, over almost ten runs a game. So, you know, it's one of those lightning in a bottle things. When you got it going, you just ride it as long as you can because you know it won't always be like this. It won't always be like this, but you know, with this streak and the way they've gone about it, like you said, it really feels like the 117-win pace they're on is probably sustainable, considering how good the rotation's been. Keichel and McCullough, I read your article, they're 20-3 and in starts by those guys. The bullpen, like you said, has been solid. And when you add a young offense that's just clicking on all cylinders, I mean, obviously they've. I can go ahead and say they've locked up the division. It's just a question of what kind of success are they going to have in October. Right, and you know, as you when you're 42 and 16, then there's some pressure. You know, like the only question the the 2001 Mariners who won 116 games, the only question they got the last two months was yes, but what are you going to do with all these wins? And they didn't get to the World Series that year, so that's a cautionary tale. I think uh, the one thing the Astros now look at is okay, you got a 14 game lead, you got to keep Keuchel and McCullers. You got to make sure that they're rested, not rested. But you got to make sure they're healthy for October. And so I don't think you're going to see Keiko pitch more than six innings for a while here. And I th- even during the streak, you've seen A.J. Hinch just stay away from his best relievers at times. So it's a fine line. How do you maintain that edge and yet, you know, sort of look ahead to October? Tony LaRusso used to tell these guys after they clinched, if you need, if you're hurt, if you're tired, take off. But if you're going to play, you have to play like it's game one of the playoffs. And, and, you know, uh, Sean, uh, uh, one injury changes everything. Astros make the playoffs last year if Keiko and McCullers are healthy down the stretch. Their their suspense was they didn't pitch a bullpen, throw a bullpen until January. I remember A.J. Hinch told me the night before McCullers was going to throw his first bullpen. He said, say a little prayer for me because pretty much unspoken was our whole season's riding on those guys. Richard, how low did the franchise go and how recently was that low that they're that they're building out of. It was well, a guy what? named Jim Crane, a Houston businessman, bought the club in late 2011, and he said, "I'm going to hire a general manager who's great at the draft, 
and I'm going to stay out of it, and I'm going to give him the patience. The patience is the big word to tear it all down and rebuild it. And believe me, I remember telling Jim Leland, hey, this is what they're going to do. And he, goes, he just rolled his eyes, and he said, yeah, I've heard that a hundred times. When they lose, they lose 11 games in a row, they're going to go out and get some old guys. Competitive people can't stand losing. But they have stayed the course. I mean, and here's the, the downside of going through this. It's painful. Your fans go away. You playing in front of empty ballparks. You're losing 100 games three years in a row. And people find out they can live without it. And the fans haven't come back. On the last home, home stand, 10 games, they averaged 30,000. Well, that, you know, 35,000 on the weekends. They, I mean, they, this was a club that drew 3 million and made drawing 2A, 3-1, made that sort of seem routine. And your TV ratings go to zero. Now, some of that was distribution problems. But how do you get those people back? Now, they're doing it the perfect way. They, Luno accumulated all this young talent. And it, they're, they're a good team, but they're a fun team to watch, as you guys saw over the weekend. I mean, Springer, Altuve, and Correa are as entertaining and as energetic as three players, any three players in the game. So that, that's, how you, that's how you get it back. And then in the offseason, they felt like they were over their skis in 2015 when they made the wild card game and – went to uh, game five with the Royals in the division series. That they, they weren't that good. But this last offseason, they thought they were ready to win. So Luno got increased the payroll by $30 million. And uh, Jim Crane allowed him to do that. And he went out and get he got old guys. He got Brian McCann. He got Carlos Beltran. He got Josh Reddick, not old, Charlie Morton, Nori Aoki, just to sort of balance out the clubhouse and the, and the lineup. They fell on opening day. Our bullpen's as good as anybody. Our lineup's the deepest in baseball. Now, what do we got in the way of starting pitching? And I, I do think that the the moves over the offseason, the veteran guys that they brought in, that was the big thing I think that was missing last year is when they did encounter some adversity uh, last year, I don't know that there was anybody that they felt comfortable turning to and anybody that felt comfortable kind of taking the clubhouse by by the throat, so to speak, and, and, and turning everybody around. And when you add Beltran and you add McCann, uh, those two guys alone are um, uh, real backbone-type guys. And it, I think that's made a big difference for them. You know, and what's interesting is the young guys, uh, Correa, Altuve, Springer, they buy into that. They, I mean, they believe that. I think they that, have to. Yeah, that, uh, hey, we look to those guys. Those guys are going to show us the way in terms of poise. A.J. Hinch is a big part of it. He's a poise guy, and he's, he's the same, very rock-solid consistency. And, and the, the one thing for Ranger fans would want would be interested in is how do you build a great bullpen? Well, you gave up a, they gave up a bunch of prospects to get Ken Giles. Okay, we get that to pitch the ninth inning. But the, 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 two, other, the two best setup men, Will Harris was with three other organizations, was hurt all, his whole career, Gets healthy, develops a cutter. Arizona lets him go. Houston signs him, and they're big on pitch, pitch use this year. He throws the cutter crazy, makes the all-star team last year. Davinsky was a guy that they thought would be a rotation starter. At Cal State Fullerton, he had played – well, in junior college, he played shortstop. Cal State Fullerton, he starts pitching. <laughs> and the pitch that got him, that forced him to stop hitting, was the changeup. And he throws a 93-mile-an-hour fastball and an 82-mile-an-hour changeup at exactly the same arm angle. I mean, it, you know, like, he, he, he works out in the offseason where Trevor Hoffman works out, and he said, that's the guy I want to meet, that's, and that's the guy you would compare him to. And he, he stalks around the mound. He's got this bad guy 
persona, and then he throws it up there at 82. <laughs> and uh, it, it's funny. So, like, it's, you don't plan it. I mean, his, they found that as a, as a reliever, his velocity ticked up, which made his, which made his changeup even better. And then they find lightning in a bottle with Will Harris. It's, it's bullpens have become the strangest things in that you don't draft in the second round to get an eighth inning no. guy or seventh inning guy. You don't, and I I, I do think that uh, you know my uh, my the way I've always described bullpens is that they're fickle organisms, and if you have one if you have one part of a bullpen that doesn't function right, it can affect three or four other aspects of the bullpen and the Rangers have the Rangers have had that each of the last three years and, and in the first two uh, on the first two occasions they've found ways to fix it whether it was an internal guy in Keone Kella or whether it was going out and making an acquisition like like for Dyson and Deekman in 15 uh, and last year it was finding Matt Bush and and this year they have found Jose Leclerc but at the same time Dyson failed Dyson yeah Dyson and, and, and you know um one thing about that is every hey, this guy Michael Feliz was rated high prospect, those ninety five, and they had Davinsky, and they put them both in the bullpen last year. So every time one of them would pitch two innings, or you know pitch great, the question for AJ Hinch would would be when are you going to put him in the rotation? And he said, now look, slow down. How are those two guys more valuable to us? Okay, we I understand a starter is more valuable than a reliever, but to have a weapon like that. That Davinsky can go three innings, can go two innings. Three nights later, can go three more innings. Feliz comes in and throws 95. How, how valuable are they to us? Not, you know, traditionally we, Farhan Zadi, the Dodgers GM, said this in the offseason. He said, we've got to start compensating relievers based on what we see as their value. The value is not necessarily the first inning the not, or the ninth inning, but, you know, a guy that gets you from the, from the sixth inning the eighth inning that's a pretty valuable guy too well here here's one thing i want to bring up on, on davinsky before we move on you know we talked about and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna make co- comparisons based on stuff or anything but we talked about andrew miller last postseason and how valuable he was because of the ability to kind of pitch in any situation and give his team multiple innings and you sit here and you look right now at, at davinsky and he's pitched 20 games and in the majority of them in, in 11 games He's pitched more than an inning. He's gotten more than three outs, and that saves other arms in the bullpen. That's I think a luxury these days. It's a it's a luxury, but it's also I think what managers would love to have be able to happen. Now, the, the, there's are there some potential long term issues there? Yeah, I, I think there are. We don't know what the effects are going to be of multiple innings and, and hard work on a guy's arm, but I do think right now what he has given the Astros is that, that really flexible piece that if they do get five innings out of their starter, they're still in pretty good hands. If they get six I, innings, they don't have to use both their setup guy and their closer every night. They can make yeah. sure that one of those guys is rested. Yeah, I ask, I've asked a couple of managers in the last month, Sosha and Osmus and A.J. Hinch, what's the psychological impact of having a great bullpen? And, and what they said was interesting, and it really makes sense, is, well, the psychological impact is in the other dugout. Like, you know, if you were playing the Royals or you're playing Cleveland, you better have a lead in the fifth or sixth inning. Right. Because when, they see, when you see the big boy st- <laughs> stroll in from the bullpen to pitch the two innings to get the ball to the two late guys in Cleveland, you're done. You know, you gotta, you gotta real, it's a real long shot. I hadn't thought of it that like, there's a real fr- urgency that like, you can't be behind Cleveland 
in the sixth inning because you're going to lose. Richard, Texas now, what, 15 and a half games back of Houston, and just the gap between those two clubs was really evident this past weekend when Houston really took care of business and swept away, uh, swept away the Rangers. As far as Texas goes, let's talk about their young core. You mentioned how you know impressive Altuve and Correa and uh, you know some of those Bregman, some of those other kids are. Texas has a core that I think a lot of people have question marks about. I mean, Nomar Mazzara looks like a really nice player at 22. Rugnet Odor's had his struggles at 23. Joey Gallows, uh, he's a unique bird at 23. How do you feel like this young core is going to develop, and can they even come close to what those kids in Houston have already accomplished? You know, I saw Cowshaw rope. The Astros are more set up for the future. We don't pay attention to Cowshaw. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, would, I would say I disagree with that. You don't know. Like, when you have a season like this, and this is just today, it's lined up perfectly, you don't really know how it happened, and you don't know if you can have it for the next five years. You don't know what's going to happen. We thought the Cubs were starting a thousand-year dynasty, and now you look at them and go, well, that looks like a very mortal team, a very beatable team with the age on the pitching staff and the young guys. So that's what I I would say in looking at the Rangers. And, And, you know, they gave up, they made the trades for Hamels and LaCroix. Haven't been in Houston. There, to say there was great consternation, and Evan knows this, to say there was great consternation in the front office that those two guys ended up in Texas would be an understatement. When that LaCroix trade was made was last year, there were people furious. We should have made that trade. We could have made that trade. And uh, so things change by the day. So when you got guys like Rua and Mazar, I think you just got to gotta let them play. I mean, it still comes down to, like, what if Tyson Ross is okay? What if he comes back and is competitive? So you, down the stretch, you're going to have, let's say, a healthy Ross, a healthy Darvish, a healthy Hamels at some point, possibly. And then, you know, Griffin, I, I guess he's going to come back at some point. And you've you got a chance to be competitive. And that's, that's the one thing the Rangers have done the last couple of years. They've had some really tough stretches. But they keep it together and play. They're winning for now. And so uh, you just get to September and you say, okay, where are we at now? Because I, I mean, I think I think Evan agrees. I think Mazar is going to be a prospect, maybe a little less sure about Profar, but you know, I, I wouldn't. I, I don't think they're in a position that they can blow it up. And I don't think. I, I think the way the the, the the thirty team leagues are structured now, you don't want to blow it up because you're closer than you think. Well, I I will say this. Look, the why. First of all, we've passed the point. I think of no return on the on the division. There's never been a team that's been 15 and a half games out, come back and win a division or finish first place in their league. But I do there think there you that, go. You just jinxed it. I, I know, and it, hey, I'll be happy to write about history. <laughs> but um, in the wild card at this point in time remains very viable option. The, the difference here is with the number of guys that you have on this roster that are free agents at the end of this year. Um, you have, I think, about six weeks to get everything either going in the right direction or make a determination that you're going to do something of what amounts to a mini rebuild. You've got Darvish. You've got to make a decision on whether you're going to pursue Darvish or whether you're going to trade him. You've got Lucroy, who uh, you're not going to re-sign. So if you're out of it, you're going to trade him. Hey, if Houston wants Lucroy, here you go. There you go. Hey, hey, now what about uh, why do you guys – it seems to be a, a feeling that the Rangers aren't going to re-sign Darvish. Why is that? I don't, I don't think that there's I, – I think – I think the feeling on Darvish right now is still very much undecided. I think the Rangers did not make any aggressive moves during the winter. I think they wanted to see him 
kind of pitch this at least this first half of the season see him go out there every fifth day get a real sense if 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 they felt like not only was he all the way back but that he was taking a step up the risk in that would have been that if he did that he'd be a 30 million dollar pitcher um i i do think that right now they've got to make a decision on two things regarding darvish do they want otani more and will otani be available this winter and do they think they can sign Otani? Well, what's his position? But what what's his position? I believe the Rangers would look at Otani as a pitcher. A pitcher exclusively. I no, I think they'd look at him as a pitcher, but I think they would allow him, or at least explore the opportunity to allow him to DH at least periodically. Maybe not three times a week, but maybe maybe once in between starts. Maybe maybe twice in between starts. And is there who's the best? prospect that's within 2018 of the big leagues in terms of being starting a starting pitcher for the texas rangers yeah nobody i I don't i mean i think this is the issue that separates the rangers and the astros in the long term is that you look at houston's core and the astros have developed and 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 uh promoted young starting pitching that has grown into established major league pitching and is affordable the Rangers are still two years away, I think, from at least having a starting pitch. Can I can I piggyback well, on that you thought? Know, but the Astros feel like they're very thin on starting pitching. You know, I may David Paulino may throw a no a no hitter tonight, but you know that's their that's their worry too. I mean, um, Jeff Luno's first draft pick, 2012, he had the number one pick in the draft, and he signed Carlos Correa for under market under the slot price. Mm-hmm. He saved a million and a quarter. He used that million and a quarter to sign Lance McCullers. So with basically one slot money, you know, the first pick and the 42nd pick, all right. that money, he threw it, threw it together, and he got Correa and McCullers, and they were the uh, AL pitcher and player of the month for, for, for May. So when you, you, know, you hit on something like that, you know you're going pretty good. Richard, I want to go to Jim Crane with you because, like you said, the, the pitching depth as far as starting pitching prospects isn't as deep as it once was for Houston. You've got a number of guys they've developed, I mean, all over the diamond, not only on the mound. At what point is Jim Crane going to open up the pocketbook? Because he has this perception of being a bit of a uh, uh, penny pincher. And I'm just curious, when a lot of these guys come due, I mean, are they going to be able to retain their services? Yeah, I don't know who would say that they were a, a penny pitcher. That sounds like an idiot. He, uh, he had a, They had a $50 million payroll three years ago, and he bumped it from $90 million to $125 million this year. And, and gave the guy, gave the GM the, the right to go spend money. So they've got the core together for two years. Uh, Carlos Beltran's a free agent. I don't know if they want him back, but for two years they have the, they have the core. Then the decision for 2019 is um, Dallas Keuchel. They mm-hmm. have tried to sign him in the past, not been able to sign him. But you look at guys like uh, Springer and and Correa. And Altuve, they've got those guys for a minimum of, of three years. So, you know, I, I, you know, when Jim Crane had zero TV ratings and zero TV money coming in, he was a penny pincher. But since they've had money, they've he's given it to the baseball operations to spend. He's gone from fifty to one hundred twenty-five million on payroll. Correct. Correct me if I'm wrong, Evan. Jim Crane was once in in the bidding yes. to, to be owner of the mm-hmm. Texas Rangers. Yes. Has he surprised you as an owner? Has he? Well, and, and what kind of owner has he been? Well, you know, George Steinbrenner, when he bought the Yankees, said, you know, I'm not really going to be involved. I'm going to let these guys run it. 
And so he said what every other owner says. The best thing is he's not involved. He comes around. He says hello to the players. He gives a few media interviews. But he, he has a home in Pebble Beach. He has a home on a golf course in uh, Palm Beach. And he has a life outside of baseball. You know, they, the prior owner, Drake McClain, who I love, is a good friend of mine, they had to sell everything to him. He wanted to be involved in everything. And uh, it just doesn't work at times, you know. He, so I don't know that there's an executive in baseball that has more freedom to do his thing than Jeff Luno, and, and that's a good thing. You'll call Crane and go, uh, hey, what about this guy there after this guy? And he'll go, you know, I haven't heard him mention that guy. <laughs> and, you know, like he's, he's like on the outside looking in, and, and when they have something to do, they come to him and say, here's what we think we're getting, here's what we're giving up, this is what we think the impact will be, and he'll go, go get it. I mean, I, I don't think he's told them no on anything. All right, and, and I, I want to go into this just a little bit because I had what amounts to a Twitter fight earlier this week. You? Um, or this weekend. How many followers did the person have? I know John Blake keeps up with that. Yes, he does. He, <laughs> he he shouts out every time in the press box. I respond to somebody with like 12 followers. He's like, 12 <laughs> followers! Um, so here's here's the thing. Uh, there's Every time something goes wrong for the Rangers and something goes right for the Astros, I get this thing again from a number of fans um, that – Boy, the Rangers shouldn't have let Nolan Ryan go. And <laughs> and that somehow Nolan has some kind of impact on the Astros. And my perspective that I try and give people is Nolan was a great asset to the Texas Rangers. He was a great asset for the club's integrity. He was a great aspect for uh, morale, for, for people in the organization. Um, but that he didn't have a huge voice, never had a huge voice, in player op in baseball operations or player development, he was involved, and I believe in Houston he is excluded even more. Can you give us any insight on that? Yeah, I don't think his role. You know, in Texas he was the president of the club, right? Correct. And he and John ran the baseball operations, and whoever Nolan brought in ran the business operations. Was it Rob or whoever or John Blake? And uh, that was that was his role. I, his asset, his to me, he had a great value to the Rangers in that. You own a team, you see Nolan Ryan sitting there behind home plate, you just feel good about it. <laughs> I mean, Absolutely. you know, and okay, maybe he didn't make that trade for Elvis Andrews, but I, I think he did. And there became a narrative in the national media that this is all about Nolan Ryan. I, I have a smart friend when the Astros were winning two years ago, a guy says to me, well, I think, uh, boy, it's pretty clear that Nolan Ryan's kid is running the team down here. Right. And so, you know, we, we, the narrative is whatever we make it. Yeah, he's um, an advisor. They've asked him to go out and look at draft picks at times. But, no, he's, he was here last week. He doesn't come, I don't see him at that many games anymore. It's surprising to me that people still – and I know you get frustrated. I can tell you get frustrated by it on Twitter, that people still question John Daniels. That, hey, I don't think John Daniels is very good at his job. Well, if you don't think he's very good at his job – you're not getting anybody better, buddy boy. So, I mean, there's not anybody. I mean, you can fire him, but if, but if you're going to fire him because you think you're getting somebody better, that that's just, I mean, that, that's just silly. But I think that's the social media. Whenever the Astros lose two in a row uh, on social media, A.J. Hinch is an idiot um, and down the line, you know. Right. They just start there. I, I just think it's a quid pro quo. You lose a game. Somebody's got to be fired. Well, I think there was, a, and I think Astros Twitter was very hot last year about firing hitting coaches and whatnot. Was that correct? 
always. You know, that's that's the that's the default position. First, we want to fire the manager. Okay, at least get rid of the hitting coach. Well, right. why is that? You know, like I think you've pointed out to people. Well, let's see. How did Bannister and JD do last year? Yeah, I guess what they lose like a hundred games. Oh wait, they made the postseason. That's right. Oh my God. Well, he sure got stupid over. They both of them. They got real stupid over the offseason. It's crazy, and I do think John Blake's right in that. If you if you try to answer everything on Twitter, you will you will become Donald Trump. You will just start typing. He's president of the United States. I'll become president. Evan could be president. <laughs> that would make my mother so happy. Evan Evan would not pull out of the. Uh, your Paris mother Accord, would your mother though. rather you be president or have been a doctor? That's it. The chief of staff will be coming in and going, 12 fires, Mr. President. My mother would have preferred that I give her naturally born grandchildren. That's what my mother would have preferred. <laughs> well, with that, let's talk about the Rangers' wild card chances. We know Houston is running away with the division. Just, but, but, we, but and this, this dovetails into Twitter because well, I, I feel just, like. I need to throw one stat okay, out there. Okay. Just one stat. All right. And this is the thing because last night we watched this game again. The Astros had a th- had a one run lead going to the ninth inning, mm-hmm. scored three runs against uh, against Kansas City. The Astros have scored the most runs in the major leagues after the seventh inning, 118 runs. That also has a psychological effect on other teams. Oh sure, because you know that this team is never out of it, and we saw that with the Rangers over the past three days. We saw it last night, and I think this is something that the Astros feed off right now. That we ain't done. You know, we're we're never out of it, and no matter how good n- enough is, is never enough is we're never going to settle for what we've got. Mm-hmm. I think they've done a great job on that front. I agree. Well, I want to go to Twitter because fans are really jumping off the bridge as far as uh, Ranger fans go. Which bridge? Uh, I think the Margaret Hunt Hill Bridge. I think is the one that a lot of them are sailing off these days. But they're four back, but they they have six clubs in front of them for one of the wild card spots. There's a lot of hope, I think, with some of these guys coming back. There's still a trade deadline out there. Richard, do you feel like Texas can somehow do both? Do you think they can actually make a push for a playoff spot and still trade away some of their uh, tradable chips? I don't think they can do both, but you never know. I mean, you just got to get your team back out there and see what you're at. And just look up on July 10th, and you know, there's plenty of time to adjust on the fly. Luke Croy's got plenty of trade value. Andrews has trade value. Darvish will have depending on how he's pitching, will have some trade value, although, you know, that's a little tougher because he's a rental. Well, LaCroix is a rental, rental too, right? Uh, LaCroix, Darvish, Napoli, mm-hmm. um, uh, Gomez would all be rentals. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if you're going to get a bounty for those guys. Is it, it would The more the issue would be, okay, does this open up a place for Profar to play every day so we can finally find out, things like that. Can I go sacrilegious here and bring up the idea of possibly moving – a guy that's going to get 3,000 hits later this year in Adrian Beltre, who does have 10 and 5 rights, so he would have to approve it. But that that discussion at least has happened on my airwaves over the past few days. No, I think that's something that's very much going to have to be discussed and potentially becomes a real discussion point um, here in the not-too-distant future because— That's $18 million a year. You're looking at the Rangers. The Rangers have two games against the Mets here before they get out of town, and then they play six against— the two best records in baseball, the Washington Nationals and Houston Astros on the road. You are very possibly looking at Texas coming back here in the late in late June, three weeks away from the All-Star game, with what could be the worst record in the American League. Well, um, Evan, what's the, uh, what's the upside? What, what's the optimistic, glass-half-full view of it? Of what? Of the season? Yeah. 
Well, I think the I think you, you've touched on the optimistic glass half full, which is if this team can tread water here and stay around the wild and stay in striking distance of the wild card race at the you know by the All Star break, you do get Gomez, you do get Hamels, you will have Ross pitching, uh, and, and you will have a true one two three with Darvish, Hamels, and Ross. Uh, you may be able to finally kind of now that you've made a decision on Sam Dyson, you may be able to turn that bullpen around. Um, and, and you may be well positioned for a team that's got some guys in their 30s that we've just all gone through all those names, that those guys will be fresh and ready to really contribute in the second half. Would be, would yeah, Bell- and look at the teams that are in front of them in the wild card race. Toronto, Seattle, Angels, Rays, Detroit. And then you have to pass one of the other, you know, some of the, one of the AL East teams. Right. I mean, come on, we're not talking about a year – where there are great teams scattered all over the map. No, there's there's not. There, if they can hang around the race, they are well positioned to win a wild card spot. I just want to get back to Beltray for one yeah. minute. Was he the kind of guy? Would he go to management and say, "This season's not going anywhere. I'm getting older. Send me somewhere." I think that Adrian Beltray wants to win a world championship okay. before he retires. It okay. would have to be the right situation. I think it would have to be the right situation. Um, I think I, the Yankees would be a good landing spot. Personally. I actually think Boston would be a terrific okay. landing spot, and, and I think before. Boston will be actively looking for third base. And, and will he? Would he go to? Do you think he would go to management and say, "Send me somewhere where I can win"? I don't know that Adrian would walk into the man, into the general manager's office and demand a trade, so to speak. But I do think he would make it clear back channel, especially his with language. his agent Scott Boris, that he would be willing to accept a trade to X teams. Um, the question that I have here is he has become such a fabric of this organization and the history of this organization, and if he had been healthy from the start of the year and the team went south but was at this point in time closing in on 3,000 hits and gets his 3,000 hit with the Rangers, I think you're then clear to make a deal. Mm-hmm. But if he's sitting there at 29.88 the last two weeks of July – do you trade that yeah, guy? I mean, you can do fifty. So, you can do fifty in two months. So, so let's say Beltre. let's say Bel- let's say Beltre had been healthy all season. How would that have helped the bullpen? I'm not saying he would have wrecked the season. I'm not saying that at all. Okay. I'm just saying I'm saying from a public relations standpoint and ticket selling standpoint, if he's still below three thousand hits, come the the cusp of the deadline mm-hmm. six weeks from now, can you make that trade, or do you have to try and trade him in August? I can't, I wouldn't I can't, I just can't see trading him. I think you tend, you intend I think they intend to win next year. I, I mean he I think he's too much a part of the organization and what they want to do going forward. And I can't see him. You know him a lot better than I do, Evan. I can't see him going in there and and saying move me. I can't see it. On the other hand, if you ever have that conversation, you have to trade him. I, I think that'll I, get out. That'll get out, and that'll change all the dynamics. I think the conversation would be something along the lines of this, that, hey, if you guys aren't going to be in a position to contend in 2018, I would appreciate the opportunity to win because this may be the end of my, my playing And, and so much of that hinges on Darvish. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and, King, maybe all of it. I don't know. Uh, uh, well, it, Where does Gallo fit in? Yeah, there will be a place for Gallo. If whether if, if they trade Beltray, clearly he opens up at third base, and then it opens up a spot next year for Guzman at first base. If they don't trade Beltray, then maybe Gallo goes to left field. Guzman becomes your first baseman next year. Beltray's your third baseman. You've got all the corners solved with, and and really with Guzman, Mazar, and and Gallo, you'd have 
absolute giants all over the field. They're all six five or bigger. But uh, I, I I just think that would be kind of the the context of any conversation that Adrian would have. He is a professional. He is he is committed to this team. But I also think that as we saw with him going to the WBC this year. This was his last opportunity he felt to go and play in something that was really important to him, and he was going to make every effort to do so. Same thing would come if he feels like this team's not going to win in 17 and it's not going to contend in 18. Would he say to management, listen, I would like one opportunity to one more opportunity to win a world championship? Part, quite frankly, that's the reason he re-signed here, is he thought that this team was in position to win a world championship. Richard? Uh, well, I mean, I understand it. I understand John Daniels has a big board in his room, and you have to look at it, and every player has value. And, there, you know, there is a point where you have to – I mean, to me, that's crossing the threshold. That's saying, okay, we're going to be a completely different team next year. And you know, I think that's the reality. If you don't sign Darvish or if you don't sign Otani, that is the reality. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know – uh, the um, one of the things John I think is good at is taking a thirty thousand foot view of his franchise, of his roster, and being unafraid to move. And also, I think he's got ownership. I think they listen to him, and I think they would say, "Okay, John, that's what you want to do." I mean, do you agree with that? That they would that ownership and John are on the same page. Richard, Richard, what would you, what would you peg the odds that the Rangers getting Otani would be? From a national perspective, I didn't. I didn't realize that the Rangers were looking at him as just a pitcher. I thought he was being viewed as this hybrid thing that maybe everybody could use. I, you know, where does he want to go? You know, I, I mean, you're going to now. You're going to get the Dodgers. You're going to get the Angels who need to make a splash. The Yankees are going to have tons of money to spend. Mm-hmm. So what it is is the roulette wheel. I I think that. Um I think uh, we've talked about Otani on the on the podcast before, and again, I, I'll underscore this. I think with Otani, it does come down to what the environment is and where he wants to go because the money, given the restrictions that all clubs have now on international signings of his of his stature, uh, there's going to be a very limited flexibility that clubs have. I think that they're going to be somewhere between fifty five and sixty million dollar investments to sign him unless there is some change in the rules, which I don't foresee happening. Guys, before we wrap up, let's hit on a few other like newsy Ranger items before uh, before we go. Mike Napoli, is he going to be heading to the DL? He's had some back issues, been out of the lineup recently, and if he does land on the DL, when he comes back, are we going to see him in more of a strict platoon situation because he just doesn't hit right-handers very well at all. Gallo seems to be a fit somewhat at first base, and could could they prop up his value somehow before July 31st by making him a platoon player. I think that there's I think a he's going to end up on the DL. When John Daniels acknowledges that they're talking about a DL, that's usually a pretty good sign that that's going to happen. And I think that uh, for me maybe the thing that would make the most sense for the Rangers in the short term would be bring up Brett Nicholas and that gives you a third catcher so mm-hmm. that you can deploy Chirinos and Lucroy as you have both in your in in, in your lineups. Um, and, and yeah, I do think now with a left-handed option at first base, that's, that's legitimate in Joey Gallo. When, when Napoli comes back, he will play against lefties and it will give Gallo some, 
some days off, and it w- and it will potentially give Napoli a chance to prop up his value. And I guess I the last, he's, I think, it, I think with Mike, we're interested in entering a different part of his career. I think his days as an everyday player are about over. I mean, he's he's really struggled. I have to tell you guys. And my last thing is, wh- where's Sam Dyson going to land? Because I guess we're getting up to the point where he's going to be traded uh, to some club, and I'm just curious what you guys have heard out there. Uh, I, right now, I think that, um, and, and this will be resolved by Friday, the Rangers have had some plenty of inquiries. I, I think that um, the, the places that make the most sense to me are uh, Tampa Bay, I think that would be a real good fit for Sam because it would allow him to go back to a place that's that's his home and would and, and I think he'd feel fairly comfortable there. I think Minnesota would be a decent fit for him right now. Uh, I've heard some talk about maybe the Cubs would be a fit, and I think there's two things here with with Sam because he's been in such a bad spot mentally. Maybe getting home to Tampa Bay would be the kind of uh, reset that he needs. The other thing, I think he got so beaten down by how bad his numbers were that if you could trade him to a National League club and he could walk out on the mound and see (laughs) 0.00 when he comes. Yeah, I I, I really – I don't want to undersell that. Um, I I think that would be significant right now for his his psyche. Yeah, I agree. He just needs a reset. You know, I think there's career – he's got productive baseball left in him, but it wasn't going to happen in Arlington. All right, before we go, I I, I know I I said we should – this is Richard, say something positive about the Rangers for our Ranger <laughs> listen, listeners. Make them feel happy. Uh, make so make them feel happy. A, they're, they're building a state-of-the-art ballpark. They have great ownership. They have a great general manager. And they have one of the great players in the history of the game in Adrian Beltre. They have a culture of winning. They know what they know winning players from losing players. And uh, it doesn't. And the thing we've learned in the last five years in baseball it turns around real fast. It turns around both ways really fast. You were, and, spo- you were supposed to say they also have one of the finest beat writers going. No, they don't. Um, uh, and social media conscious. Evan and I talk about this all the time. That boy is engaged on social media at a time when a lot of our co- co-workers go, Twitter, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> um, I, I will say this about, about the Rangers, that even when I, I think in this day and age, you know, the uh, the days of the flat out ten year dynasty where you don't have a losing season mixed in and you're in the playoffs every year I think those are far fewer and far between and, and and I think you do have the ability to go through a rough year and rebound quickly and we did see that in 2014 with the Rangers you know they went through a awful year they and then in 15 they had some real setbacks with the Darvish and Holland injuries early and, and a new manager and still found a way to, to win that division. Uh, I, I think that if you do need to make some changes, you can rebound quickly. I agree. And, I, you know, they, and they have the right people in charge. I mean, the, the franchise, you know, in the whole, in the grand scheme of things, this is a blip. Correct. But it's a long, hot summer blip. And people get irritable, but when they get that new ballpark and you walk in there on a hundred and five degree day and that air conditioning hits you, people will just be happy. I, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if Evan lost forty thousand Twitter followers the first week. <laughs> oh my God! Oh. No. Yeah, I don't know if Evan can handle that. To be honest with you, Richard. It's a bad idea. <laughs> um, all right, Richard. Well, we're going to let you run here. 
um, we we enjoyed spending some time with you. Will I Thanks. see you in Houston next week? I will. I will be there every single day. Oh, good. Maybe we can have lunch one day. I would love that. Thank you. All right. I, I, it will be my treat. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. There he Bye-bye. goes. Richard he said, Justice. He, he sounded doubtful. Yeah, MLB.com. Good stuff there. And, yeah, the uh, Rangers are in a, uh, a weird place right now. Uh, the this this June is going to be a really tough uh, tough month as far as the schedule goes, and they're already 15 and a half games back. It's just a question of how engaged will the fan base be come July and come the trade deadline time. You know, I did go through the the next week with games against Houston and and um, uh, Washington, Washington on the road, mm-hmm. uh, and and June doesn't get any easier. Because Got the Yankees and they they do go to New York and they do go to Cleveland to end the month. Mm. So. You're looking at, at 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 a number of games on the road against winning clubs, and it's an uphill fight for the Rangers right now. Well, hey, Dylan G is here to save the day as he <laughs> starts against the Mets tonight, as they're in town. So uh, there's, uh, hopefully, the Dylan G will get vengeance against his old club. That's all we can hope. Well, thanks to everybody that tuned in this week. Thanks to Barry. Thanks to Evan, and of course, thanks to Richard Justice of MLB.com. He was terrific. He was fantastic as always. And uh, thanks to you, the listener. And be sure to download this. Be sure to favorite this. Be sure to share this with your friends. Also, this week we talked to Earl Spence Jr., the uh, new welterweight champion, and also we talked a little NBA Finals because Cavs and Warriors is a pretty big deal. So we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Rangers Ballsy Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see ya.